0: Hey, this is Takara, and you are listening to a letter to my sister podcast. You are in the right place if you were raised to be a strong, independent woman who didn't have to depend on anybody for anything, but then you realize there were some lessons that you didn't quite get as you were going along the way. We often go through life the best way that we know how, and we don't even realize that there's a better way. So, in here, There will be some raw and real conversations surrounding life lessons about the things that we wish that we had known, maybe about self, love, money, and even our careers. So if you're new here, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would love for you to leave a rating and review as well. So now that we've got all that out the way, let's chat sis. hey hey welcome back to another episode of a letter to my sister podcast to my existing subscribers as i always say thank you so much for coming back week after week to the new folks thank you for listening today and i hope after the end of this we can be friends and as i've been saying this is going to be a good one i've got one of my purpose to platform sisters with me today, and we are going to have an awesome conversation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read her bio for you first, and then after that, we'll kind of go into it. So Jasmine Johnson is a writer, mentor, cancer survivor, and emotional wellness coach. Through her business, Embrace Your Healing, she serves women who have experienced loss and are struggling to navigate the grief journey. Her passion for supporting those who are grieving stems from her own extensive journey was lost over the course of her life. Among those losses, the most devastating was the death of her mother in 2016. Knowing that such a significant loss could cause her to lose her will to live, Jasmine made the choice to be intentional about obtaining support to process her grief in a healthy way. The freedom that she has experienced via therapy, grief support, and emotional and spiritual healing ignited a flame in her to support others in their journey to healing and wholeness. Know firsthand that grief is not something that should be tackled alone. Utilizing her intentional healing method, Jasmine helps women to give language to their pain, embrace healing, and go from a place of simply surviving to thriving. So Jasmine, welcome to A Letter to My Sister podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Takara.
0: And how are you today? I
1: am doing well. How about yourself?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. So you and I have already did what I call a (laughs) pre-chat. The theme for the month is healing. And today I wanted to talk about grief and healing because with the pandemic and just with everything that has been going on, it seems like we have all experienced some kind of grief. So either grief of the death of a loved one, or even what I call grief of things just not working out the way that you thought that they would work out. So maybe this is not how you thought you would spend your summer (laughs) and you have to grieve those plans or whatever the case is. So I just knew that you would be the perfect person to come on to talk about grief and healing for today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. And I look forward to this conversation.
0: All right. So I think the first thing that I want to ask you is grief itself. Like I was saying, a lot of times we just think about grief in this kind of one box as far as losing a person. But how exactly do you define grief?
1: I think it's the response to any form of loss that we've experienced. So it could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be the ending of a relationship. It could be a dream derailed. It can be due to like a miscarriage or, or something like that. But it's kind of just like our natural response to that loss. So whether it's this e- emotional overwhelm, whether it's feelings of sadness or depression, feeling isolated, all of these different things. With navigating
0: through the grief journey, I was looking at a quote and it was basically saying that the only way to get over grief is to grieve. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, you know, for, for those that carry what I call sometimes like the strong woman complex, mm-hmm. you kind of keep everything in. You don't want to grieve. You don't want to show Weakness, and so you do things to just, you know, keep you busy Mm -hmm. so you can just move on to the next, to the next, to the next. But I imagine over time that could actually start to weigh on someone. And I feel like if you don't grieve now, you're gonna grieve at some point. And I don't know how it's gonna come out, but it will come out.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It allows us, or it causes us to have all of these kind of like incomplete losses that we haven't addressed. And it magnifies once we have multiple losses kind of like stacked on top of each other, almost like a Pringles can. When you think about that, when the top pops, when there's mm-hmm. that extra pressure in there, or even, even a soda can, if you shake it up and eventually once it has all of that pressure, it eventually mm-hmm. pops. And that's kind of what we do with our emotions. If we keep tucking and we fail to like really just process or allow ourselves to feel what it is that we feel as a result of whatever this loss is, then eventually we will have these emotional outbursts at the most unopportune time. So we can't allow ourselves to continuously just kind of like tuck (laughs) these emotions and just keep going on. And we may have these unhealthy coping um, patterns that we utilize, whether it's avoidance, whether it's drinking or sex or drugs or overeating or getting in um, relationships that may not be the healthiest for us or failing to put up boundaries, different things like that in order to kind of like avoid what it is that we're really feeling and truly processing that. And I know that that was something that I did before, but it caused more emotional distress. And that's what really causes us to feel like all these feelings of overwhelm when we just don't take the time to like really allow ourselves to sit in those feelings Mm -hmm. and embrace it. Like even though it's painful, even though it hurts, we have to give ourselves permission to, to process the pain and allow ourselves to feel it in order to work through it.
0: That's good, you call it tucking, and it it brought me back to a counseling session that I was in before, and they called it stuffing. Mm. That was like, you know you're a stuffer, aren't you? I was like, <laughs> a what I said yeah you're you're a stuffer because you because what I was doing at the time is I was trying to keep everything at bay,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so I was trying to kind of keep everything at peace that was going around me. I was trying to please everyone around me and something would happen. And I would just try to brush it off, brush it off, experience the death of a loved one. I'm like, all right, I got to keep pushing because if I fall, they're going to fall. And then my counselor was like, yeah, but see, the thing is when you stuff, eventually it has to come out. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you know, think of it like a stuffed animal. You can only stuff but so much in there. Eventually, you're going to stuff it too far to where everything is just going to (laughs) explode. Like you were talking about, like the explosion of a soda can. And then it comes out at the absolute wrong time. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize that I was stuffing until someone pointed it out to me. So how would someone realize that they are stuffing tucking or even just kind of delaying the grief
1: that is a great question you really need to pay attention to how you handle difficult situations in your life so for instance if it was a breakup you went through a breakup and you didn't give yourself time to really just kind of like process the relationship you know what went wrong Um, what went right, what are some Mm -hmm. things that you want to take away from this relationship to help you in the future where maybe you can make a a healthier decision going forward into the next relationship. Thinking about, did you do that? Did you take the time to do that? Did you create the space for you to do that? Or did you just jump into another relationship? And this relationship that you ended may have been toxic. It may have been Mm -hmm. emotionally unhealthy. It may have been physically unhealthy, but you just jumped into another situation that may mirror similar characteristics of this other one and you may when you sit and look back you may realize that this has been your pattern over time
0: yeah yeah that's true because it's it's like we've got to do i don't know it seems like the theme for the week of everything that i've been watching and listening to has been introspection Hmm. so they've all been like well before you do this before you do that you need to check yourself did you do this did you do that So I completely get that part of it. Mm -hmm. Now, when we were in the Purpose to Platform program, the interesting spin that you took on it was, like you were saying, not only that of a loved one, but just the loss of something else. Mm -hmm. So even going back to the relationships, like you just said, how would one deal with that, the loss of a, a... a friendship, a marriage, a job even, I feel like all of those kind of would be kind of along the same realms depending on the goals that you had or how you thought that it would end and then for it to end abruptly, Mm -hmm. then it's like you have to grieve that loss. Or as I tell people sometimes, you have to grieve the future that you thought you were going to have because now it's not going to be the way that you pictured it, the way, maybe even the way that you put it on your vision board Mm -hmm. and all the affirmations that you put on there, Mm -hmm. you know, to back up with it.
1: Mm -hmm. The first step is to kind of like just be emotionally honest with yourself and kind of like take the time to process how do you feel as a result of that relationship, whatever type of relationship it was, ending. Once again, like if there were some things that went wrong, whether it was on your part or the other person's part, looking back, are there some things that you wish that you would have done differently?
0: It sounds like what you are describing basically divorce. Okay. When everyone gets married, everyone is thinking forever. I don't think people go into a marriage intending to get a divorce. I I don't think.
1: Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: So when you feel like this person is your forever and it happens that they're not, you now have to grieve because I'm a planner. Mm-hmm. So I now have to Make grieve sure. how I thought my retirement was going to look like. I have to now grieve what I thought my home was going to look like. I have to grieve the the 2.5 kids that I thought that I would have by now. Right. Like, everything is completely shifted because this one event has basically changed the entire trajectory of my future and how i had it planned
1: according to my vision board Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes yes i understand completely because i am quite the planner where i will have my whole life mapped out and have a whole bunch of different scenarios and sometimes i have a hard time when the plan doesn't go as expected because i'm such the planner and i think that's part of the problem so even as we're taking the time to be honest about how we're feeling about the relationship ending we have to think about um, what were the expectations that we had so whether they were spoken and articulated or whether they were the ones that i just had in my mind so even if me and my spouse weren't on the same page but things that i expected of this relationship that didn't happen so i have to be honest about how i'm feeling about that you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. a lot of times we, I think we even judge our own emotions. So it's not even, we. well, one component is we're worried about what other people may think about this relationship ending. They came to my wedding, everyone was here, they were supporting us. Some of these people were ones that I was going to when we were going through issues within a mm-hmm. relationship. Maybe they thought that it wasn't going to work out and they gave, you know, feedback and I didn't take their feedback into consideration or whatever the case yeah. may be. So one layer is I'm, I'm worried about what they think about this relationship ending. Another component is I'm judging myself and I'm questioning whether or not I did what I should have done in this relationship. Does this make me a bad wife because it didn't work out? Does this make me a bad husband because this didn't work out? You know, Mm -hmm. what does that say about me? And then also we may compare ourselves to what someone else in a similar situation went through. So even, okay, now that I'm going through this divorce, how I'm processing it, okay, I feel like I'm struggling more than I should be. The relationship may have been bad for a couple of years. So I should have saw this coming. But why am I still struggling with coping with the aftermath of this? I have a friend, you know, in our minds, we're thinking, I have a friend who went through a divorce and she seems like she got over it quickly. So Mm -hmm. we start comparing ourselves (laughs) to someone else in a similar situation. So I think we have to give ourselves grace to embrace our own story. You know what I mean? Embrace Mm -hmm. it, feel it, accept it. And without judgment, without judgment, without criticism, and give ourselves compassion, the same compassion that we show other people we often don't show ourselves. So I think that we have to do that in that process and then give ourselves space to truly process what happened here. What could I have improved on and what do I need to do to improve on so that in the future, if it's another relationship that I get in to make sure that I'm healed and whole, prior to getting into that relationship so that I'm not taking the same baggage into that relationship that I carried out of this one. So kind of like that honest exploration.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know, the baggage and sometimes, I I don't know who who coined the term of it, but somebody said residue. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh that's yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, that's a good term because sometimes it's not necessarily the baggage but it's almost like the next person you choose you want to make sure like okay well because he did this I'm going to choose somebody that doesn't do that or because he did that I'm going to choose somebody that so it, so you think that you're healed because maybe now you don't feel a particular way or you know you don't <laughs> your head doesn't want to explode when right. somebody says their name or whatever But you're choosing your partner based off of what you don't want because you experienced that in the last one. So you're like, okay, well, I didn't like that they smoked. So next time (laughs) I'm going to make sure that I choose somebody that doesn't smoke. Right. Okay, sis, is that logical? Right. Like, do you mind if somebody smokes or do you just not like smoking and that's what you expected? So, yeah, um, residue. I was like, wow, residue. Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Residue. Even what you just said about smokers, like thinking about if that's one of the issues that they feel like, OK, well, because of the experience that I had with this previous person that I was in a relationship with that was a smoker, I don't want to date any more smokers. Is there particular characteristics that you've um, kind of like formulated in your mind that are attached to smokers? Right. Or was it this one person who happened to smoke that had these characteristics that you don't like?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's like, you got to be, you got to be careful about that. Like you lump everybody into the same boat and you're like, I'm just done with all of them. Yes. They're all trash.
1: Mm-hmm. No more. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm.
0: But it was just like, it was just a character flaw. That's all it was, was just Absolutely. one major character flaw.
1: Mm-hmm. Thinking about what you just said too, it made me think about, we get so caught up in based on traits that we didn't like in you know, certain people that we may be in a relationship or in a community with that we kind of like use that as the baseline for future relationships. But instead of looking at what we don't want, I think we need to be more clear and take the time to reflect on what do we want Mm -hmm. in a significant other? What characteristics do we want them to possess? Even in a friendship, you know, what type of people, what characteristics do I want my friends to have and possess?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was listening to another podcast earlier today. And that that's exactly what they were saying is that we spend so much time focusing on what we don't want. We tend to get more of that because that's all that we've trained our brain to do is focus on the negative. Mm-hmm. But what this guy said is he basically wrote down everything that he was looking for in a future mate. He wrote down the entire list, wrote it all down, so then that way, when he did come across another person, he would just compare them to the list mm-hmm. and say, oh, okay, well, does she have da 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 No? Yes? No? All right. Move on. Go to the next one. But from writing the list, they focus solely on positive traits, attributes, and characteristics. And mm-hmm. that's it. So yeah, that's a really good point that you made about that. Like, you just got to focus on on uh, basically the positive.
1: Right. The list thing is tricky too, Cause I will say I was a list person in the past Uh and I had an extensive list. (laughs) I think the original version would probably had about 20 characteristics. Uh And I remember, look, my mom and my brother, my mom was okay with it. Cause she was like, okay, I want you to be a lot more specific with the type of mate that you end up with. Uh But my brother and kind of some of my friends was like, you might want to narrow this down a little bit more and be really clear, like maybe narrow it down to like five characteristics that you really want in a significant other. However, what I found before was I did enter this previous relationship with someone who fit this list and they looked good on paper. Mm-hmm. However, once I got in that relationship and you kind of peel back the layers, like it was like, okay, this just looks good on paper, but this yeah. isn't it. Uh,
0: that's a good one.
1: <laughs> so that can be tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true.
0: Man, how I'm trying to describe because I was in, I was in this this group. And what they were saying is that if you do write out a list, you have to describe what that looks like to you.
1: Mm. So a lot of
0: times, and I don't even know how we got here, but heat, oh, we're here. <laughs> we're here. So um, so like, for instance, you may say, all right, I want someone that loves me. Mm-hmm. That's very generic. Yes. That's, I love ice cream as well. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, ice cream person, hmm, how does that look? So what they were saying is, okay, dig deeper. What mm-hmm. does that look like for that person to love you? What the what does what does that look like in your eyes? Mm-hmm. And if I were to say, well, I want someone that's fun, okay. What do you mean by fun? Right. Do you do you want someone that you know, believes in like drag racing, kind of fun; jumping out of a plane, kind of fun; right. spontaneity, kind of fun; mm-hmm. going to a comedy show, kind of fun. Right. So they were like, "You need to be very specific and very clear," because, like you were saying for your list, yeah, you could fit these things on my list, but then once you peel back the layers, you'd be like, "Oh no, 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 no! Yeah, this ain't it. Okay. <laughs> ain't it, buddy?" This is not what I thought. This is not giving what it was supposed to (laughs) give at all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Eject. (laughs) Right. Okay. Throw the list. Throw the list out. Let me start over. Hold on. I didn't get it right the first time. Exactly. Like you said, I need
1: to be a lot more specific. (laughs) (laughs) But Mm -hmm. now
0: we know. Now we know. It's just all very clear now for, you know, what we do. Mm -hmm. But with that, is this. As with you being an emotional wellness coach, is this kind of some of the things that you delve into when you kind of discuss this with people or when you discuss grieving or even, what are even like the steps to process grieving?
1: Okay, so there are different methods to working with grief. There are a lot of different ones that are famous. You know, you can Google them and see some of the the more prominent ones, but I sort of developed my own method um based on my experience and different people that i've talked to and worked with who've gone through grief and then even from my own personal journey and i call it the intentional healing method and it has six different steps so the first step is really compassion learning to show compassion toward ourselves and others who may also be on the grief journey so a lot of times we find it easier to show compassion to someone else in their situation But we have to be more mindful of giving ourselves grace and like I mentioned earlier, not comparing your grief journey to someone else's, you know what I mean? Or judging yourself because of how you feel or how you're handling everything, knowing that we all or not necessarily we all, but two people can be going through the same exact experience. We can be in the same family going through the same experience, but we handle it differently. And that doesn't mean that one way is right right, and one way is wrong but it's just we process it differently so giving yourself like the grace and space to process it the way that you need to you know and embracing your own unique grief journey without judgment or comparison and then my second step is process and that's where you truly begin to process and give language to your pain you allow yourself to feel what you feel. You remove the mask because a lot of times, like we said before, we either hide our emotions, we don't want to show them. Maybe we feel as though our grief is too heavy for our loved ones or they're not really giving us the stuff that we need, so we're hiding that. We're putting on this brave front and pretending like we're okay, when internally we may be dying inside, you know what I mean? And we're Mm -hmm. just crying out for someone to just like see how much pain we're in. So at this stage, I'm encouraging my my clients or the people that I work with to truly just remove that mask, allow yourself to feel what you feel and be emotionally honest. You can't heal from what you fail to acknowledge. So just giving yourself the space to acknowledge what you feel. And some people who are grieving, one, they may not even associate it with grief and they have a hard time even giving language to whatever it is that they're feeling. Mm-hmm. So helping them to like truly give language to that pain and whatever it is that they're feeling And embrace it, kind of like lean into it so that they can work through it. Okay, I'm going to
0: pause you before you go to step three. It sounds like you were about to go there.
1: So as far
0: as for processing, what I have found for some people is they are afraid of the emotion that will come out. Yes. So if they're afraid of the emotion that come out, how then does one process Mm-hmm. If they're scared of what they might do. I mean, because, you know, some people tend to react in anger and mm-hmm. so they don't want to. And then that's why they hold it in. Maybe that's why they have all these rage rooms now where you can just go and pay and tear some stuff.
1: I want to go to one of those. <laughs> I think I need to. I have some pent up stuff, especially from all last year. Like, I need to get it out. So, yes, that's why they're creating more creative ways for us to release all of that anger, frustration, and tension. Mm-hmm. But you kind of have to go at the person's pace. You know what I mean? Like, I understand that it can be scary and overwhelming. And even thinking about maybe past experiences, that may be one of the reasons that they're afraid to kind of like allow themselves to be emotionally vulnerable and truly feel what they feel. Or maybe their their family has a history of anger and aggression, and they've seen how it looks when you kind of like unpack all of that. And they're afraid of that. So I think kind of like starting where they are. So it's not about where you want them to be or where you think they should be. Mm -hmm. Starting where they are and kind of like exploring like, okay, well, what is it that you're afraid of in this instance? If you do let go of this, you know, if you do allow this to come to the surface, what are you afraid will happen? And kind of like working through that. Okay, so if we start to unpack that little by little, what will this look like? What are some tools that we can put in place so that you still feel safe and are able to do that in a safe way? So maybe it is going to one of these, you know, anger and aggression rooms or mm-hmm. finding other ways for you to be able to kind of like let out some of that that tension and kind of like have that emotional release, but do it in a healthy way so that you don't feel like you're going to fall apart when you do it or so that you won't do it at, you know, uh, a time that's not a good situation for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then um, step three is locate. So that's truly learning about the stages of grief and being able to identify where you are in these stages. So a lot of people think that grief is kind of like this linear journey (laughs) and or they think that it's an end destination and it is more so a journey. It may be a lifelong journey for you and we don't go in this straight line. It may look like this, where we're going in these zigzags. We may be going backwards. It may seem as though we've made a lot of progress. And then something may happen to trigger us where we may go back four steps or go back to one of the earlier stages of grief. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that could be something like, it could be a holiday um, that maybe it was like your anniversary, you know, your husband's anniversary. Mm-hmm. And then that time of year comes around and you find yourself getting depressed and you realize that this happens every year around this time. Mm -hmm. or it could be a birthday your loved one that you used to be with whether they passed away or they're just no longer in your life maybe that was a time that they celebrated you and it used to be a very fun occasion and now you find yourself like you don't have anyone to celebrate your birthday with so you find yourself starting to feel sad or depressed around your birthday so just being mindful of different things like that and kind of like understanding that it's not a linear journey you know it may go up and down you're gonna have some some bumps in the road but just understanding what those stages of grief are and what they can look like. And what are some of the triggers that you may experience in helping you to truly put like a plan in place and some, develop some coping skills if those triggers occur. And then step four is faith. I feel like faith is one of the most important or cornerstones of this whole system where it's truly the foundation of our hope. I I think that's what gives us the assurance that a lot of times when people are grieving, they feel as though things are never going to get better. And faith is what assures us that things can get better and that they will get better, despite what it looks like, despite what it feels like right now, like things will get better over time. So in this stage, I really um, help the clients to um, explore what role does faith play in their life? And even in their grief experience, is it causing them to intensify their grief? Is it helping or hindering that process? You know what I mean? So really exploring what role does faith play in their grief process? And then the next step is support. Helping them to truly identify like what type of support do they need in order to heal in a healthy manner? And it also allows us to explore like, what is their current support system? Do they have a support system? Do they have people in place that can support them on this journey? Or even if it's something that they need, they realize that they don't have healthy boundaries in their life. That may be something that, you know, we need to work on to help them to put those things a place. And then the final step is getting to a place of acceptance. So that's where we come to terms with our past. So maybe things didn't go the way that we expected them to, maybe there are some things that happened that we regret, um, things that we wish that we could have done different, but we have to get to a point where we kind of like make peace with the past. And then even get to a place where we have to accept what is, like our current reality, maybe this person is no longer in our life, this relationship ended, this job ended, but truly reaching a place of, okay, this is reality and I have to accept that. And then getting to a place where we can envision our desired future so that I'm not stuck in position, I'm not stuck in this place of hurt, but so that I can actually like, what do I envision my future to be? And how? what are the steps that I can take to help me to get to that point?
0: Okay, so I saved my two questions. I was like, maybe she'll get to them. So my first question is, we all find ways to cope and we do know that there are unhealthy ways of coping. Is there some kind of, okay, well, let me just give an example. Maybe (laughs) that'll be easier. So in my family, we celebrate birthdays of those that have passed on. Mm -hmm. And for us, that's kind of our way of celebrating them thinking about them like literally it is a celebration as if they are still alive Mm -hmm. we just come to get together it's like a whole family barbecue everybody feels good but i wonder though if even though that's that may be my way of coping maybe for someone else if it were another family that might be too painful
1: mm-hmm, for mm-hmm.
0: them to say okay look i i cannot mm-hmm. this is this is not good for me mm-hmm. so then how does one navigate for instance if the family wants you to come together because we're going to go celebrate mm-hmm. grandma you know for her birthday but for the other family member or for another person this is too painful for me to handle
1: mm-hmm. i think at that point this particular person would need to kind of like develop the courage to be able to honestly have a conversation with the other family members and just express how that makes them feel. Like even though this is a joyous occasion and everyone else may find um, comfort in being able to celebrate, you know, our loved one once her birthday comes, it's painful for me and I'm having a hard time dealing with that. So It's a bit triggering for me. So for now, until I feel like I'm at a better place, I would prefer not to engage in the birthday celebration, but I will Mm -hmm. still celebrate her in my own way. So that doesn't mean that I'm dishonoring her memory. That doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not celebrating her. Just I need to celebrate her in my own way right now because the way that, you know, corporately, it's a bit much for me at this point. That's a good takeaway. And then the
0: other one the other thought that came to my mind was I feel like there could be two different sets of circumstances for grief. So let's say if I have a parent that passes away. In one sense, you could have a child that had an excellent relationship with their parent and they passed away. And then another sense, you could have one that either one didn't know them or two, they had a horrible relationship and they just completely fell out, didn't speak or whatever the case is. What would the grieving, is, is there even a difference for the grieving process between the two different scenarios?
1: I think it varies person by person. Um, it could be different, but it could be the same. Because I've heard that people who may not have even been raised or even knew the biological parent, once they passed away they they still had the same grief process where they grieved as if this was a parent who raised them. So mm-hmm. even if it's within the same household and maybe one has a great relationship with a parent and the other one doesn't, they may have a similar grief experience or they may not. One may be more intensified. One may not be, you know, they may have less feelings in. They may not necessarily have a reduced sense of pain that they're going through but they may process it differently because some Mm -hmm. people like we said internalize the pain and other people are more you know vocal outspoken they show it more and i think that's one of the things too that i wanted to point out i think we often attribute how someone behaves so if you look like you're sad then you're grieving if you're not Mm -hmm. showing emotion then that person isn't grieving and they don't care And that's not the case. Like, we all have to have the space to grieve in a way that feels normal to us. You know what I mean? That feels comfortable for us. We can't place our expectations, just like you said, if it's in the same family. My mom had six or seven siblings in her um, immediate household. She had six siblings. But how they all responded to my grandma passing away was different. You know, they all loved her. However, how you handle that pain is going to look different for each one of you. So that doesn't mean that one person grieves any more or less than the other one necessarily. But, you know, they have to have the space to grieve in a way that feels comfortable for them.
0: Yeah. And I think that goes back to the faith component also that you mentioned, because, yeah, there are a lot of people who find comfort in saying, okay, well, they're no longer in pain, or I know they've, you know, received, we wanted them to receive it here in the earthly body, but maybe they received healing in the heavenly body kind of thing. And I think even for me personally, when my grandmother passed, I took that a lot better than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. I was like, Chad, I'm going to be a mess. I right. knew. I can relate. Somebody <laughs> don't <laughs> have to pick me up off the floor
1: mm-hmm. because,
0: you know, she and I were so close. Mm-hmm. We, We talked every week for like two to three hours at a time. We traded Bible study lessons. The whole nine. She was basically my second mother. That's Mm -hmm. who she was to me. But what I find interesting is that because we were so close, I feel like the Lord was gracious Mm
1: -hmm. to
0: me. And that I had a dream and I had no idea what to do with it. Because for, for one, I don't, I rarely remember my dreams, but I remember this one clearly. Mm-hmm. And I had a dream that she was going to pass oh, wow. and that um, that I was the one speaking at her funeral. And I was like, what kind of dream is this?
1: Wow.
0: <laughs> and, and strangely enough, I had that dream. And then a few, I think, I don't even think it was a month later she was diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. and then she was like, you know, but I, you know, I, she was like, I don't have any, um, I don't have any fear about it. I don't have any pain about it. And I was like, okay. So I was like, all right, Lord, now either you are giving her comfort or, what was this dream about? Like, I'm mm-hmm. tripping. One of us. It, yeah. I'm like, the way that she's telling me about it and the way that I dreamed about it, I'm like, we about to come to do two different conclusions here. Mm-hmm. So which one is which? But the way that I was reacting for the next three months, like leading up to her death, ball of tears, mm-hmm. <laughs> complete ball of tears. So I basically cried for 90 whole days. Mm-hmm. And, and by the time by the time she was like sick and they were like she's not gonna make it I had cried all the tears I could possibly cry mm-hmm. so I think that is why then I had the 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 strength even to get up there and speak on behalf of the of the grandkids because we were all super close but I was like that's I think that's the only reason that I was able to do it because I had cried for three months prior right. had it, had it come as a total shock to me like it did for the rest. Mm -hmm. then I was like, I don't know if I absolutely would have been able to do it or even function at all. Mm -hmm. So then looping all the way back (laughs) to when you were saying as far as emotions, I think sometimes too, if you are commonly the person who seemingly has it all together, and then because people don't see you crying or they're, they're, they're not quite sure if you're, or no, better yet, I'm going to say that because they don't see you crying, they assume that you are okay. Right. But sometimes I think that's a dangerous place to be in too. So we don't have the conversation with people to say, are you okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look fine to me, but I'm going to ask the question, are you really okay? Right. Versus we wait till somebody has had a complete meltdown. Then we're right. like, oh, what you're happened? You're not well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's like did anyone check in on them prior to this point that's so um profound that you pointed that out because i remember i have a cousin who passed away last year and it happened kind of like unexpectedly he had a heart attack um things didn't go well he was in a coma and ultimately he ended up passing away but both of his parents had passed away like two years before that within like a six to eight month span And I remember um, I spoke at his dad's funeral and I ended up saying, like, check in on him. You know what I mean? Like, a lot Mm -hmm. of you may not know, but his mother just passed away prior to this. And he wasn't his dad's only child at the time, but he was the only living child. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, people seem like they have it all together, but internally they may be dying inside. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? So don't assume just because you see someone on social media posting or on vacation that they're fine when they may be miserable. And these are all ways to try to project and pretend like everything is okay when it's not. So when they come to mind, that may be God placing them on your heart to reach out to them because he knows that something is going on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So don't just assume that someone is okay. Like you said, reach out to them, check in on them, especially people that you know who are going through like a difficult time, or even if there's like a, a significant date that's about to come up, like, a death date, a birthday, Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know, all these significant times. If you know someone who's gone through something painful or lost one of these loved ones who these dates may significantly impact, reach out to them and see what's going on and make sure that they're OK.
0: Yeah, that that's true. And strangely enough, what I've noticed about me is I don't remember anybody's death date. Mm hmm. Even my grandmother, I can tell you the time frame mm-hmm. because it was around my birthday, but if you ask me the exact day, I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. But I purposely do that because I don't want to remember. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't that's not something I want to think about. Now, do I know when the when her birthday is coming up? Right. Absolutely. I right. certainly do know when her birthday is coming up, but I purposely do not remember that like I I, I have obituaries, but they're all in a folder tucked away somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I have it just Same. because I have it.
1: Right. But I don't
0: have it like out or, you know, anywhere where I can easily access it. Because I'm like, if I do that, I feel like that would just kind of mess with my
1: mental life right hmm I get it. And I think some people, those things stand out to them more than others. Because I realize there's some people, even like in my family, we've experienced a lot of deaths over the course of the years. And some people remember everybody's death date. They're posting about it on social media. They're reminding everyone else. And then other ones are like, oh, like you said, I just know when the time comes, but I don't know the Mm -hmm. date. And I'm not focused on the date. I would rather reflect on their birthday because that's a happier time for me rather than reflecting on the day that they passed away.
0: Right, Yeah. very true, very true. There was something I was gonna say, but I don't remember. So clearly it was not important. wasn't important at all. Okay. So um, you are a cancer survivor. I am. So I'm very interested in that because number one, you're young. Mm-hmm. And two, again, as we've been talking about going through this grief of how we thought life was supposed to be right, or how we anticipated life to be, How did you work your way through your, through your diagnosis? And and how would you lead someone else through that for other people that may be going through that journey right now? Mm
1: -hmm. That was a very scary time. I was 24, about to turn 25 when I was diagnosed. And I had never been sick with anything. (laughs) I had never broken anything, never sprained anything. So this was a complete surprise. I never had surgery or anything like that. So it was very confusing. I felt like it was just very unexpected and um, abrupt. And I didn't feel at the time like I had completed my life's purpose. So I felt like, okay, God, this seems like too soon. Like I haven't had a horrible life. There's a lot of people that I know that have experienced great deals of trauma. Luckily that hadn't been my testimony, but I still felt like, God, I don't think I've accomplished what you put me here for. So I remember just like saying a prayer before and I had to have surgery right away. I had colon cancer and they had to remove the right side of my colon. So they had to like hurry up and schedule the surgery and everything. And I just remember praying to him saying that, I don't feel like this is the end. However, if it is, I thank you, you know, because I've had a good life until this point. However, if it's not, I need you to show me what I'm here for. What is my purpose? Because I don't think I've accomplished it. So if I survive this, show me what my purpose is. And I think that was what part what was one of the things that kind of like anchored me in the aftermath mm-hmm. of this diagnosis. So then is when I like gave my life to Christ, I accepted Christ. And I it was almost like my life completely transformed where I think I had a lot of like anger and kind of like frustration and all this other stuff that I went through prior to that and I think at that point I realized that a lot of the stuff that we deal with in life it really isn't that significant in the grand scheme of things. We spend yeah. years and decades and all this other stuff like holding on to hurt and unforgiveness and holding grudges against like family members and all this other stuff when we could die. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) unexpectedly, like it's not worth it. And then you live with this regret if you live, um, if you lose someone unexpectedly. So I felt like I no longer want to carry this stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's not important to me anymore. So I think during that time, I just continued to like press into my faith. And truly just like trust God and allow him to like guide my steps. So I did go through like depression and times that I felt like like isolating myself while I was going through chemo. I had to be off from work for about like a year or so after that. But I tried to really just go deeper in my faith. So really like studying the Bible, applying it to my life, spending more time in prayer I'm a journaler and I'm very like into like introspection and mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. self-assessment and different things like that. So I spent more time like journaling. I would have these random dreams. I've always been a dreamer, but I would have like just weird dreams to the point that I didn't even want to dream anymore at the time, but I started like writing down the dreams and paying more attention to like what they meant. I started like researching what the dreams meant. I had like some dream books and different things like that, but really trying to like document the process too and try to find meaning in why did I go through this experience? Like I, I didn't feel as though God caused it, but I felt as though he allowed that process to get my attention. It helped me to be more intentional about my life, what I'm here for and actually like figuring out what my purpose was.
0: And let me just say, as a nurse, speaking as a nurse for you to have Colon cancer at 24, that's highly unusual.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Extric- that's like, that doesn't even normally come along till like 50. Right. hmm And then on top of that, just based on what you're saying, it sounds like it was caught
1: reasonably early. Yeah, it was in stage two. And it felt like up until that point, um, I had some signs that showed like something was going on. And at that point, I didn't really like going to the doctor. So I would kind of like, avoid, I would dang near have to be dead to like go to the doctor. Yeah, yeah, And it felt, it got to the point, like it progressed from like May through August is when I had these symptoms and when they first started and then they like intensified. So actually prior to then, but when it got bad, where it literally started to feel as though my body was shutting down. And that's when Mm -hmm. I finally agreed to let them do the colonoscopy, still not thinking that they were going to find anything. It was completely shocked when they were like, it's cancer. Like, what? (laughs) How does that happen? Yeah.
0: Which, Which, again, is still blowing my mind because for most people, even just based off what you've told me your signs and symptoms were, that's stage three and four. Mm -hmm. For most people, by the time they actually start experiencing those symptoms and knowing that hmm, something is off, but you're having these signs and symptoms in stage two, which to me already tells me that you are protected for you to even experience that so early because most people are like, no, I didn't even I didn't even feel anything till a month ago. And then they're
1: diagnosed at like stage four. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Look, and then terminal. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm hmm. And I, it's crazy because I started meeting like other people I had never even heard of colon cancer prior to being diagnosed with this. So I was like, "What the heck is that? Yes. What is going on?" And then I started meeting other people who had like the same diagnosis. So we were kind of like comparing symptoms that we had prior to when kind of like discussing what was working and what wasn't working. But that experience caused me to be more intentional about my body, um, paying yes. attention to like what's going on. So that's advice that I would give anybody. Period. Whether you have cancer or anything else. Be mindful of what's going on in your body. Pay attention to how you feel. Pay attention to how different things make you feel, whether it's certain um, things that you're eating. Is it disrupting your body, your digestive system, like anything else? Like, is it making you feel lethargic? Because that's how I was feeling with a lot of stuff that I was like eating. And after that, like, I that experience taught me that I'm my biggest advocate. These doctors oh, yeah. may not believe stuff that you're saying, they may try to say, oh, we don't find anything because. Going back to my childhood from the time that I was like a baby, I've always had issues with um, like my bowels. So mm-hmm. and my mom used to have to take me to the doctor and different things like that. And they just kept saying like, oh, nothing's wrong. She just doesn't eat a lot. So this is why she's not eliminating properly or just different things like that. So my mom had a lot of guilt. Once this diagnosis came out where she's like, is this something that I should have discovered earlier Was something really going on back then? And they just weren't giving me, you know, the right feedback and they weren't checking for the right thing. So learn to be your own advocate. Pay attention to what's going on with your body. If you know, you know how you feel. So regardless of whether or not the doctor believes you get a second opinion, go to another doctor. But, you know, you have to advocate for yourself. You have to speak up. Don't just accept just because they're a medical professional that they know what's best for you or, you know, um, oh, they know what's going on. No, they don't. You know how you feel. They will try to tell you that nothing is wrong when you may be dying. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. And then even make the lifestyle changes after that. I felt as though they should have like referred me to like a nutritionist or something like that. And it was just like, Oh, good luck. You know, you can continue (laughs) your life (laughs) presume as you know, your regular schedule program. And Mm -hmm. it was like, uh, no, life is very different right now. And this isn't working. Like the old way of doing things, it wasn't working then. So it's definitely not working now. So I had to um, pay attention to like what my body didn't like, And start eliminating things where I had to change my diet. I ended up cutting out like meat and poultry. So I've been pescatarian for years. If I didn't like seafood, I would actually be vegetarian or vegan. But (laughs) (laughs) I noticed that that made a huge impact on like my mood and even like my energy level. And even like um, just how my body felt in general, where I had less abdominal issues once I cut a lot of that stuff out.
0: Yeah, I am a proponent of... Nutrition. Mm-hmm. Do I have the best diet? No, <laughs> I don't. I am a work in progress, but I am a huge component of people diagnosed with any kind of terminal illness mm-hmm. or people either on the men's of that mm-hmm. seeing a nutritionist.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because even looking at the diet and just things that our our diet is called SAD, Standard American Diet. Oh.
1: <laughs> and that's why we feel sad.
0: It's so heavy. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know, in in those situations, you need to be operating at the most optimal level that you can be operating mm-hmm. at. And you can't do that eating or drinking things that your body does not normally produce or tolerate. Come on. Or things coming into your system that it does not and cannot readily recognize. Right. I even went down just, you know, even once my uh, grandmother was diagnosed with, with cancer, and because cancer was just kind of running rampant in my family for a while, I was like, what in the yeah. world mm-hmm. is going on? And I went down this deep dumpster dive through YouTube and the world of Google and all of these other things <laughs> of how people beat mm-hmm. cancer mm-hmm. because normally in the medical world, listen, if they tell you you're at stage four and mm-hmm. you need to get your affairs in order because odds are you don't have much time left. Mm-hmm. But again, in these uh, YouTube and Google streets, <laughs> There were so many people who were able to beat cancer at stage four. And the commonality between all of them was their diet. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. there's something to this. Yes. There is something to this. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I and, and because of that, two people have ministries have been birthed. Businesses have been birthed because now- you know, as as a uh, churchy people say, you now have, because you have gone through it, you can now lead others through it as well. You now have your healing ministry in order right. to take people from one point mm-hmm. to the next.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we have been all over the place. But like <laughs> it. They're going to have fun listening to this episode. <laughs> we we still talked about grief. We still talked about healing. Mm-hmm. It was in there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Listen, we're we going to heal you mind, body, and spirit in this episode. Come That's on. What mm-hmm.
1: Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And see, even with that, the faith component came into play. That was part of the healing process. Yes. And that ended up being the anchor. Hello. There it is. It
0: all comes together. Mm -hmm. It all comes together. All right, Jasmine. As an emotional wellness coach, I don't want to keep you here all day. This has been a fantastic conversation. Do you have any words of wisdom or any final words for anyone who is going through the grief process or maybe they relate to what you said and maybe they do realize that they're actually not processing their grief, or they're just kind of tucking it away. What should they be doing, or how do they even start to unpack that?
1: My biggest tip would be know that what you're experiencing is normal. You are not the only person that's feeling the way that you feel. It's okay to feel how you feel. You know, acknowledge it, embrace it. Um, you have to get to a place where you can be honest about how you feel but also don't be afraid to get support you know from my own experience from going through cancer from dealing with different things ending relationships ending dealing with um, the death of loved ones and different things like that i don't feel as though grief is a journey that should be traveled alone so don't be afraid to reach out for support so whether it's myself whether it's a support group whether it is a therapist don't be afraid to reach out.
0: Okay. So I like what you said there. Journey, not journey. (laughs) Grief is a journey that should not be traveled alone. I like that. So with that being said, with you being an emotional wellness coach, if anyone has resonated with what you said, and they do find that they are traveling this journey alone and need some assistance, How can the good people get in contact with you?
1: They can reach out to me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Jasmine, J-A-S-M-I-N-E underscore M as in Mary underscore Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And I would love to hear from you guys. So don't be afraid to send me a DM and let me know if there was anything that stood out to you regarding this episode or just any of your takeaways. And if you feel as though I can support you in any way, or you're interested in finding out about coaching or how you could work with me and how I can support you, feel free to send me a message and we can start the discussion.
0: All right. Well, Jasmine, thank you so much for coming by A Letter to My Sister podcast. I have really... Enjoyed our discussion and we took it from
1: A to Z. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) Not a problem. And I will definitely be sure to put her information into the show notes as well, if you all missed it, so that you can get in touch with Jasmine and just kind of remember some of the key points that she said is that number one, this is a journey that you should not be traveling alone. You need someone to kind of guide you through it or come with you on that. Or if you know someone who could be grieving, even though it doesn't look the way that you think that it might, still reach out to them, still ask them if they're okay, and just kind of have the conversation with them and just kind of do a check-in for all your people, And another thing that she said is if the person pops up in your mind, there's a reason for that. So make sure you reach out to them. So again, thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I hope that you really got something. Please be sure to number one, follow Jasmine and then rate, comment and subscribe to the podcast. And until next time, bye.